and this trailer blew everyone's minds because no one had seen this movie. You may have seen this movie. Mm. Deuces Wild. Deuces Wild. That sounds familiar. Dude. Wait, oh, is it the uh the the it's like the Greaser movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I texted Ryland. He's like, "Saw it." Yeah, <laughs> you know? deuces wild. We were man. fucking losing it because it's basically like, you know, it's this nostalgia piece, and it's like oh, yeah. the summer I became a man. My brother Stephen yeah. Dorff or whatever. Yeah, Stephen Dorff, dude. And it's like they got the the greased yeah. hair. It's like, like they hated drugs. I'm like, okay, cool, you know. Uh, and then there's like the cast of The Sopranos and Matt Dillon and oh, yeah. fucking Frankie Muniz. And we're all just like, what? Yeah. What? From the director of Basketball Diaries. We're like, what the fuck is this garbage? Oh, you know? Yeah. It was garbage. Yeah. It was garbage. <laughs> it's like smiled. the, it's honestly, it's like the joke. I think the joke in It's Always Sunny is based off of that movie where Frank one day is talking about how he used to be in a gang like that. Yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, we were the toughest guys or whatever. And then he like meets up with the old gang members and they're just like on street corner singing doo-wop you know <laughs> and max is kind of like what the fuck i thought, I thought this was like some tough shit tough gang. yeah it's like we were this is the toughest thing you could be back then you know the policeman isn't there to create disorder the policeman is there to preserve disorder gentlemen get the thing straight once and for all we clear the streets along this route deploy our men and create an impassable barrier a gauntlet if you will he won't have a chance i challenge you to a duel It's hot out there. Let's, we don't walk out there. It's very, very, very hot. Open fire! Hello, friends. Welcome to The Gauntlet. I am one of your hosts, Eric Marsh, and with me, as always, are... Ryan Saunders. And... Andrew Stasiulis. The Gauntlet is a weekly double-feature podcast in which one of us selects a theme... For the week, and the other two select movies in response to that theme, uh, whatever way they see fit to interpret that theme. And we come on here, and we uh, we have it out, and uh, that's what we do. That's what we do here on the Gauntlet. You know, um, it was my topic this week. It's episode one hundred and nineteen, and. My topic was the Bush years. I told the guys to bring me uh, any movie made during the years 2001 to 2008, the George W. Bush years. Uh, And I said it didn't have to be American or related to Bush. Could just be any any film from that period. Um, And when I saw their choices, I thought... Oh, boy. And I texted them. This is uh, my own personal 9-11. You know, I felt like they responded uh, torturously uh, to, the, to the prompt, as it were. <laughs> and that's uh, fitting, I think, obviously, for, for many reasons. And, of course, it's my fault. I didn't, I didn't say the topic is the aughts. I said the topic is... Right. The Bush years. (laughs) So uh, here we are. And I think in that sense, you certainly delivered. And it's not just uh, torture night. uh, It's Monica Bellucci night as well. I want to get that out. And that was a 
and very fun <laughs> component to this double feature that uh, plunges into the the heart of darkness of the the aughts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she sort of represents that, doesn't she? You know, I think so. the Baluch is loose tonight. Yeah, I mean, dude, yesterday I just threw on uh, a, a French film, Alan Corneau's uh, remake of Melville's Second Breath, and I was like, oh, I've been meaning to check this out, uh, and of course, Monica Bellucci, in the, you know, in the opening credits, and I'm like, I, dude, I'm. I'm trapped, you know, I'm trapped in the aughts. I'll put it this way, there's worse people you could be yeah. trapped with. <laughs> yeah, Paul Giamatti, for one. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's bring the movies out. Lots to talk about here today. Uh, Ryan, you had the earlier of the two films. Uh, why don't you tell us about uh, the, the pageant that you brought? Yes. Well... I have some hazy memories from what I believe was late 2004 when George Bush was on the path to re-election. And around this time, I would have been 10, I believe. I think this is when that memory takes place because to me it feels very vivid in the way it interacts with that re-election. But I was at not a Bible camp, but it was a, a a local like Catholic event, like an overnighter at the community center for our St. Margaret Mary's Catholic Church. And it's just one of those torturous things where you all kind of sleep on the linoleum floor with your sleeping bags and a pillow, and there's stupid team building games. And you got to sing our God is an awesome God all night long. Real chore. And, and this was definitely at a point in my life where I was pretty dismissive of th this way of thinking. It was, I think, around that time where I was like, well, give me a break. What the hell is going on here? But I really vividly remember that night we're in the, the basement of the of this like community center that the, the church owned. And they, they wheeled out the big tube TV. Yes. And they took out uh, a VHS of The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> yes. And they wanted to show us a few sequences from it. And I'm pretty sure, again, the memory and the dates are a little hazy because it did get recut in 2005, the, like the passion recut. I don't think that's what we watched. I think they limited it to a, you know, maybe 15 minute sequence that didn't have some of the most brutalizing stuff in it. But they still wanted to like get the gist across <laughs> to, to all of us. Um, and yeah, so I was confronted with that. Here I am, t 10, 11 years old. And I was like, good grief, give me a break. Was it letterboxed? No, it was Full not. Full screen. Full screen. Okay. Man. Yeah. Pan and, pan and scan Passion of the Christ VHS at the lock. <laughs> That's a 235 film. Yikes. It is. It's a 235 film. Yeah. Okay. And so I guess when you mentioned the Bush years, it's funny because it really was one of the very first things that popped into my head. To me, it felt like such a defining moment in my memories of growing up during the Bush years as a film that was just associated with the culture wars. When I think about growing up and starting to get really dispassionate about religion and thinking about how I, especially in the news, the just I felt like the presence of evangelicals was like so prominent when I was when I was growing up um, in media the, the Southern Baptist Church you know there was just it was everywhere so I've always sort of associated 
the Passion of the Christ with the bush ears. And when I knew what Andy was picking, <laughs> Andy revealed what he was picking, I was like, oh my God. I, I, the idea of these two movies being next to each other, because I'm very familiar with the film Andy picked, uh, and I had never actually seen Passion of the Christ all the way through. I thought, what the hell, I, I have to do it. So that's what I did. I decided, you know what, we're going to sit down, we're going to take a look at this artifact from 2004 and see if we can make some sense of it and see how it even just feels in 2023. So that's what I did. I went with Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. And it's funny, I was recently thinking about how I really did think I was never going to see this movie. There's a handful of movies that I've always just thought, like, I'm never going to see that, you know? And it was actually my mother-in-law, who I'm not particularly close with, who did bring the film up to me not that long ago and and said like oh have, have you seen it i said no 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 i haven't <laughs> no i haven't seen it she's like oh it's it's really great you should see it you'd really love it i'm like yeah okay oh <laughs> yeah i know but it was a it was an interesting experience that i will you know i'll detail my reactions to the film later but i guess for for those who don't know <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wow. The film is uh, b based off a book. Um, no, yeah, so, so Mel Gibson in 2003, 4, self, almost self-financed this film. He did work with, like, a few production companies, but this was a film that Hollywood didn't really want to touch. And, of course, <laughs> Mel Gibson kind of has a, a, a long-standing uh, troubles with being accused of being rather anti-Semitic. And the idea of a film that was depicting the final 12 hours of Christ's life and detailing with vivid, excruciating detail that suffering was a bit of a turnoff for a lot of investors and it was a pretty controversial production as it was being developed. On top of that, the spoken word in the film is Aramaic, Hebrew, and Latin. And Gibson himself didn't even want the film subtitled when it came out, which I actually so think awesome, is fucking yeah, really rocks. cool. That actually <laughs> rocks, man. When I was watching it, I kept thinking that, yeah, this, I mean, I would have been more impressed if, if there were no subs, because his goal was for it to be a purely visual experience. I think he was quoted at saying, it's like going to see Hamlet, and you hear him say, to be or not to be, and you want to shout, that is the question, and that takes you away from it. And he's like, everyone knows these words. They don't need to hear them, right? And <laughs> for what it's worth, for what it's worth, I, I see what he, what he meant by that with this film. It is an extremely visual film. It's a film that is thoughtful in the way it's photographed in terms of kind of the way it's all arranged. I'll say with a grain of salt, I was like ultimately impressed this was not as scattered as I had anticipated. And I guess that's, you know, probably a little unfair just because I have seen Mel Gibson's some of his other films. I think Apocalypto is pretty cool. You know, I know the guy can can shoot a scene. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess ultimately, though, this film is is exactly what everyone kind of knows it to be, you know? It, it's the it's an exploitation film. The majority of it is just witnessing excruciating suffering over an, ex over an extreme duration. I think it's, you know, some people are like, it's just two hours of a guy getting torn apart, and it really is like an hour and 40 of that. If you were to just total up the amount of brutality, like that's what it is of a two hour and seven minute film. I think it's interesting that it doesn't ever really flashback with any sort of frequency and 
I think there was something about watching it now and thinking about just taking it on its own terms. That's what I wanted to, to think about, because it's a film that's so heavily coded by the George Bush years, and it's hard to imagine uh, thinking of it out, outside of that, like seeing it as that cultural event. But I was like, okay, in 2023, like what is just this thing if I'm just looking at it? And to be honest, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting how little information the film does give you. And I was trying to imagine, like, what even is this thing to someone that doesn't know the story of Jesus? I know not many people like that exist, really, just because of, of course, Jesus is like a cultural icon, <laughs> right? Superstar? It's sort of a superstar. But yeah. the it, it, it's a fascinating film because it just has no context. It, it's this thing that... To me, in a way, it almost flattens it. Like, there's something almost kind of powerful about it of the film is purely suggesting, like, yeah, this is what it was like to be crucified during this era. You know, it's just, this is just what human suffering was. To me, it felt very human, while many other people, of course, see it as, like, one of the most deeply spiritual experiences of their lives. But I've got a lot of thoughts, and there's so much to say, but I think it'll be more fun if we chew over it together. So I, that's how I'm going to cap this off. Um, but to me, it, it really does evoke. My, uh, some of my memories of that point in the George Bush years, especially like that ramp up to the re-election in the way that this film got, you know, the, the moral majority, I guess, all fired up about George Bush. And then at the same time, I feel like this was around the time and even my life, I was starting to realize that 9-11 itself was becoming America's passion play. And it was this <laughs> thing that I was seeing everywhere I went and it was always talked about and reenacted and it was such a defining moment of my elementary school years. And in a way, it kind of has lived on as America's passion, yeah. right? Jay um, Hoberman mode over here. <laughs> yeah. You're getting lost in the sauce already, dude. Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, for what it's worth, that's the Passion of the Christ, 2004. <laughs> I gotta say, I gotta say really quick, I, I think that like South Park have like summed Mel Gibson up like the best in terms of what you were already trying to get into in your intro. There's like a an episode where they, they bring in all these various Hollywood directors to try and like help them get out of some terrorist crisis and like everyone's fucking blowing it and then Mel Gibson is just like ranting and raving and he's like basically naked and then like one of these like Pentagon generals just goes like say what you want about Mel Gibson but the son of a bitch knows story structure. It's like, <laughs> I think that's, that sums up so many of his films. It's you know? true. It's true. Well, thanks, Ryan. Uh, I, I guess. Um, <laughs> Andy, why don't you tell us about the, uh, the Bush years that you brought? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think uh, both Ryan and I were, uh, when you gave us the topic, we were both just like, what the fuck are we going to pick? And, um, you know, we, we, I think we both had a moment where you're trying to be like, all right, are there like, like, you know, like some like high quality kind of like stuff that I think, you know, are, are serious and mature and, and complex that we can kind of get into. And, and maybe passion of the Christ is that a little bit, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> I shaking his head. Yeah. But, uh, but mine is certainly not. <laughs> certainly not. Uh, I think they that they, they they both honestly they they represent like the two polarities 
of the bush here. I think honestly, if I can speak already to to our double feature, I think that for what you tasked us to do, uh, which maybe wasn't what you envisioned, uh, we both kind of took it as this sort of like, how do we sum up the the bipolar, you know, manic depression of the manic depression of the the Bush era. And I would say that Ryan nailed the depression, you know, the misery of it. Yep. And and I, I have to say, I think, uh, captured the absolute mania of these wild, violent times during the heights of the Iraq and Afghanistan war and America's ultra-violent uh, uh, and insanity. Uh, we had all seemed to have gone mad with, uh, with guns and bombs and bullets and body counts. Oh my. So the film that I chose, uh, we had actually all discussed, uh, a, a little while back. That's right. Because I had sort of stumbled across it as this kind of oddity, a thing that I'd remember, but had never seen because I thought it was like just junk. And I'd seen someone basically saying, "Hey, this is kind of a, this is kind of a cool movie, you know. Maybe you wrote this thing off once, but you should check it out again." You hadn't seen it. Ryan had some vague recollections of it. So I did not theaters. have vague recollections. I knew know this movie shot for shot. I think I've seen oh. it three times. I saw it twice in theaters. I no, what, I, twice. I, okay. I, I remember I, maybe, it well. You know, to quote our former commander in chief, maybe I'm misremembering uh, <laughs> the conversation a little bit. And uh, or was it Brian Williams? Did Brian Williams say misremember? It was Brian Williams who said misremembered. Again, another sort of Bush era fucking slob you know, who lied sure. about, you know, the helicopter, the helicopter incident in the Iraq war. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, these, these heady times we're going to be into. This week. So, yeah, I, I mean, I guess Ryan was like, yeah, I, I thought it was like uh, interesting or cool or whatever. I don't remember. Anyway, <laughs> I was like to Ryan, like, I kind of want to pick this one just because we brought it up and I really want to check it out. I want to get my eyes on it. I want to see if it is uh, 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 worth, um, you know, uh, championing now so many years later. And, you know, that is certainly something we're going to discuss, but <laughs> god damn, I had a lot of fucking fun with this movie. I mean, I think I laughed harder at The Passion of the Christ, but I laughed more during the film I chose, which is Shoot 'em Up from 2007, directed by Michael Davis. This is a movie, uh, I'm pretty sure, in which. <laughs> Clive Owen plays Smith, alias Bugs Bunny. Um, he is a, a mysterious loner who spends most of his time uh, chomping on carrots and, and just sort of being a general sort of misanthrope uh, who finds himself dragged reluctantly into a situation where he must rescue some pregnant woman from some gunmen. This happens in like the first 30 seconds of the film. Leads to our very first insane shootout and there will be many, many insane shootouts in this movie, of course, called Shoot 'Em Up. Uh, and yeah, he then gets sort of like roped in where he's he's sort of uh, tasked with protecting this baby. Baby Jesus, perhaps. Uh, he's ushering this baby along while an army of killers and hitmen are after him. Uh, led by 
the great Paul Giamatti as Hertz. Along the way, Smith will find himself with uh, his own sort of strange Madonna-like figure played by, yes, Monica Bellucci, who plays a lactating sex worker who, uh, you know, can sort of also help out with the baby and feeding it and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot to point out it's Mary Magdalene that she plays in, in my movie. Yeah, yeah. she so. plays Mary Magdalene in that one. In this one, she plays Donna Quintana. And of course you can say, well, <laughs> the Madonna, right? The Don Madonna. Um, <laughs> yeah, folks, this is a nasty movie, but it is, it is... Basically, like I alluded to, you know, it's it's been admitted by even the director and writer, Michael Davis, that it's it is a sort of strange mashup of a bullet ballet um, with a cartoon. It's basically Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd meets a Hong Kong bullet ballet. And in fact, it was shot by a longtime veteran of Hong Kong, Peter Powell, who has worked with... Choi Hark, Johnny Toe, you know, go down the list. If there was a great Hong Kong director, Hong Kong action director of the 80s and 90s, Peter Powell worked with him, including John Woo, and, and Peter Powell shot The Killer. Uh, so this is very much an homage to that, and you could tell then that the director was like, we need a Hong Kong guy to like shoot this action because it's a sort of throwback to that, but of course a very strange sort of Bush era American interpretation of that that has satirical elements that are so over the top it's it's not even really satire it's 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 maybe being too generous I think to call it satire yeah. this has at times also been referred to as a spoof of action movies I mean I don't know exactly what it is we're gonna probably pick that apart but folks this movie had nearly $100,000 of its budget on simply squibs alone. That should go to show you the level of ultra-violence we're going to be dealing with here. And, and it is one of the most violent movies I've ever seen. It is one of the grossest movies I've ever seen. I mean, there's just a lot of really weird, strange, uh, nasty little touches that, that'll that'll keep kind of <laughs> popping up in the film, and I'm sure we're going to have some some delights tonight in, in highlighting our favorite moments of, of weird, strange, strange behavior in this movie. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a goofy, weird fucking movie, but, you know, this movie came out in the middle of the troop surge that was taking place in Iraq. Part of, you know, some of the highest uh, uh, levels of violence we would see throughout that conflict. And in a strange way, in the last year of Bush's presidency, with that troop surge arriving, I, I almost feel like, yes, this is the sort of the, 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 the heroic bloodshed conclusion to the Bush era of let's just fucking... Let's unload everything we've got. Let's go for broke in a very, very uh, nihilistic way. So yeah, it's it's a it's a film from 2007. It's called Shoot 'Em Up, and uh, and Ryan saw it twice in theaters yep. when it came out. Yes. <laughs> so yes. yeah, baby, let's fucking do it. Let's go. Yes. Thank you very much, Andy. Um, 
I had not seen either of these films. You know, I'd seen some of the procession on cable over the years, you know, when I used to have the movie channels. I'd be like, I'll check in on the passion for a second. But uh, I didn't see it in theaters, you know. Uh, I was in college and uh, uh, a non-believer. So I was sort of like, I have no interest in seeing this movie, you know. Uh, and, and there it remained. Despite the fact that, Andy, <laughs> as you know, Brad and I were riding and dying for Apocalypto when, yeah. it, when it came out uh, and, oh, yeah. uh, and after. But no, I just, you know, just didn't really ever have any interest in it. Uh, and shoot 'em up like so many aughts actioners uh, just slipped by me. How many movies of guys with guns can you take after growing up in the 90s and living right. into the 2000s, you know? And I wanted to, you know, uh, explore that. Uh, what was out at the time these films were released uh, to paint a, a larger picture of mm. the Bush years, you know? And I've got the list in front of me. Uh, I hope you find this interesting. If Is not, this like the same month that the movies came the, well, out? The same weekend. I have the oh, weekend great. charts great. for when these <laughs> films debuted. Uh, Passion of the Christ, of course, debuted at number one. It had opened on Wednesday, and by the end of the weekend, had already grossed $125 million. Ash Wednesday, uh, I might yes, add. Yes. It has uh, been the... <laughs> The largest February opening until Fifty Shades of Grey, which I think is pretty funny. Yes. And, uh, you know, as to your comment earlier, this is, I believe, the highest grossing foreign language film in American history. Um, and the highest grossing R-rated <laughs> film in history. This movie made a lot of money. Oh, I yes. Thought, is that still true, though? Because I thought the Deadpool ended up like uh, breaking yeah, that. Definitely. Because this didn't gross a billion. No. Upwards oh, of. Yeah. They got to update Wikipedia then. Yeah, someone needs to. I'm sure there aren't probably a lot of people still, you know, cruising that. <laughs> Tending you know. to that page. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that there are, right? But they're happy to leave it still as the <laughs> sure. highest goes. But yeah, I'm pretty sure Deadpool fucking blew this movie out of the water. But Yeah, yeah. so, you know, you could have saw The Passion. Uh, uh -huh. That was out. We've got 50 First Dates. Havana Nights, Dirty Dancing 2, Miracle, Euro Trip, Welcome to Mooseport, Barbershop 2, Club Dread, new release. Lord, Lord of the Rings in its 10th week, 360 million. Holy fuck, dude. This list, you know what's amazing? We live in a time where everyone is sitting around just being like, movies are awful now. Listen to this weekend, dude. This is so bleak. <laughs> yeah. This I mean, it's so, so bad. Which Lord of the yeah. Rings was it in 2000? Uh, Return of the King. Return of the King. It, they had gotten that far already. Wow. Return of the King. Clint uh, in at number 12, Mystic River's seventh week, 82 million. Oh, wow. uh, okay. Monster, Cold Mountain, Butterfly Effect, You Got Served, Something's Gotta Give, so on and so forth. Lost in Translation in its 18th week, Master and Commander in its 22nd Ooh. week, The Fog of War in its 36th week, 21 Grams, The Dreamers, City of God, Bad Santa. Okay, some some bangers here on the end. Some bangers here, <laughs> yes, that, like yes. hang, hanging on. At the, the lower end. you go uh, this weekend, it's like the fall. Well, all the fall art house movies, you know. There's a. I was joking, you know, in text. There's a 
a Battle of Algiers re-release by Rialto that grossed like a million dollars in 2004. Yeah, yeah uh, dude. Which wow. is awesome. Yeah, I'm not kidding. I texted you. I don't know if you'd heard that story, but like... Oh, yeah, the they government? Were, yeah. yeah, the government was showing that movie to Iraq war officers and, and just kind of being like, what can we learn from the French here? What can we learn from their mistakes? So I'm sure there were plenty of guys in uniforms in some of those screenings, dude. Yeah. Mandatory, ordered yeah. by, the, by the Pentagon to see... Battle of Algiers, man. Yep. So that's pretty much it. Yeah. Big fish, you know, whatever. Catch Whoa. that kid, Ryan. You're probably well, seeing here, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before you read the shoot 'em up ones, this does make me ask this. I feel like it's a good point to ask. Did your parents go and see the Passion of the Christ? No. My no. dad, my dad is not a religious man. My dad came from a family of of like, you know, strange Lithuanian like anarchists. Like they never talked about God. None of yeah. my family ever. Yeah. His side didn't. My mom is a very devout Catholic, which always created this weird tension in the house because at Christmas, like my mom would take us to mass. My dad would be like, I got to cook. So he would stay home under the guise of him cooking. But it wasn't until years later that I realized like my dad doesn't believe in any of that. But I do recall my dad like renting it to like check out what all the fuss was and and his take was essentially like hey you know it's uh, it's a it's a pretty good looking movie i mean basically a very similar kind of vibe of just being like yeah i don't feel anything spiritually from this but like you know that was a bloody affair or something like that my <laughs> my my dad you know was not like a, a guy who i think watched this movie and and felt any any kind of any kind of spiritual right, reverence for it. Of course. It, you know? Yeah, no, my parents didn't see it in theaters either. And I actually don't think they rented it. They were more Christian around that point that that is uh, significantly like kind of floated away in the breeze. But I know I know Molly's mom like saw it in theaters and it's like probably the last movie, you know, she ever saw in theaters. And I feel like that probably was for a lot of people, you know, like I, I mean I remember at the time friends and their parents going and speaking about it with this reverential hush, you know? Yeah. It was, it was a, for, I think so many people, uh, it, it was this strange kind of like, it was like the Christian Schindler's list, you know, it's like the Seinfeld yeah. joke about like, you know, in Seinfeld, like all the Jewish people kind of being like, have you seen it yet? Have you seen Schindler's list yet? Like a rite of passage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And this was like, I felt for, Yes, that like insane evangelical right that was on the rise throughout the Bush era. This was their moment of being like, well, this is our Schindler's List. Like, we're back, baby. You well, know? that's an like, interesting. The Christians yeah. suffered, too, for their fucking, you know, like. <laughs> well, that's a very interesting point, too, that like Hoberman digs into, which is like, this is a Catholic thing. Mm -hmm. And the evangelicals were like. This is sick. Like yeah. we're, we're in on this, yeah. you know, in a sort of like they don't have the tradition of pageantry that Catholicism has. And they were like, let's have a little bit of that, you know, Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's a good point. I mean, it's a very good point because like, yeah, Gibson comes from this like radical fucking sect of Catholicism, you know, that that the Pope is even like afraid of. I mean, like, yeah, it's it is the most Catholic shit ever. But it was like the 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 Christians particularly like seized upon this movie, and I think in part because uh, it is so it is so like 
bare. It's so stripped down. It really is the sense of trying to be like, let's talk about the flesh of Jesus, the nuts and bolts, you know? Um, and, and, and again, just because at that point, yeah, it's like Christians needed, needed something. So yeah. Yeah. Fine. I mean, well, I, before I want to make sure we get back to the, the weekend oh, we and shoot them up, but like I, I came across this, this bit of information about how the, the evangelicals at the time prepared almost a toolkit, or maybe this came out in an article f- for people to use the passion of the Christ as essentially like just a religious recruitment tool. And there were all these talking points of like what type of person you're speaking with and how you're supposed to ask them about the passion and if they've seen it yet. So it's whether it's fellow Christians or Catholics. It even had bits about, you know, here's what you do to non-believers. And it's you go up to them and say like, oh, if you, we should go check out the Passion of the Christ. I've read that the special effects are really fantastic and that the cinematography <laughs> is quite good. Like, we should see it. And then there was... Have you heard the, of Caleb Deschanel? Yeah. Right. And then there have you was... Good, the, have you heard the good news about the VFX and <laughs> Passion of Christ? <laughs> One of the other ones was... Was, was like for anti-establishment types and you were oh, supposed yeah. to tell them like oh this movie like no hollywood executives touched this thing like they're really showing them huh like look how much money this movie's making yeah like this guy must know entertainment he's a rebel yeah. crazy yeah i yeah. mean i mean that's that's what i that's what i kind of mean though in getting to this point that like marsh is bringing up that that it is you know in a way that we were kind of discussing last week with the hitcher, it's meant to be a sort of like open text in that regard where it's like you, you, you are to project onto this, what you want. Do you want to just focus on the, the physical suffering and be like, okay, let's take all the, the, the spiritual shit out of it. Look at this man who died for freedom, right? Look at this man who suffered for his beliefs. Can't you, buy into that, you know, can't you get into that as well? Like I can see how there's so many different angles that people could say like, well, let's focus on this. Let's focus on that. Let's focus on a man murdered by the state, you know, let's focus on whatever you want it to be in the way that at times like Christ as a figure has, has been adopted by in some cases people you wouldn't expect, you know, in an attempt to sort of uh, uh, utilize Jesus as a symbol of something else. I mean, there was a period of time where the Marxists were suddenly like flirting with Jesus to be like, hey, like think of his message. It was basically a a, a socialist message, you know, what that he was, was advocating for. He, that was sort of Nick Ray's approach to Jesus before they changed it. You know, when he did King of Kings, his original concept was like, I want to look at this from a like political rebellion perspective. Yeah. And like his whole idea was... Yeah, it was about revolution. It wasn't about mm. religion, right? And of course, Ray uh, would come at it from that angle, being a you know ex-socialist at least, yeah. you know. Um, but it's true, it, you know. It it has been um, covered from from many different <laughs> from many different angles, of course, <laughs> as we've we've seen over the years. I guess now is a good time to bring up that you know Kyle studied early christian history in undergrad and she took a historical jesus course where you look at like just the facts yeah. about jesus the archaeology yeah. yeah you know because it really is you know they know so little actually you know the historical jesus is something you project onto right which is uh, what everyone does but her professor gave them a little gauntlet double feature in their class they watched The Passion of the Christ, 
And Last Temptation. And Life of Brian. Oh, even <laughs> wow. better. Even and of better. course, you know where this is heading. The professor argued that Life of Brian was actually more historically accurate, sure. uh, especially in terms of like Jesus not being necessarily, you know, this special figure, but a figure among figures in this age of prophets, mm-hmm. right? You know, a much so, yeah, he was basically like, yeah, that's actually like way more, way more realistic, <laughs> you know? Um, and that like getting crucified was no big thing because like everyone was getting crucified back then, you know, like that kind of, right. that's kind the of thing. look at it. You like know? just the big overhead reaction I had to this movie, like obviously Jesus gets it way worse than the other Ooh, guys in this yeah. movie that are getting crucified. Not that it's like a walk in the park for those guys either. Or it's a contest, but... <laughs> yeah, totally. But I did, I, while I was watching it, the primary thought I had was like, oh, wow, this is like doing a really good job evoking to me what it must have been like for any old guy to get crucified during this era. Like, I found myself thinking way less of the, even just the symbol of Jesus. And I was, because it's so, as the thing about the Hitcher, because it's so primal, just the suffering that's on display, I was thinking about it on a very human level. Whether Gibson wants you to feel it on that human level so you have a spiritual reaction it did the exact opposite for me. I was like just exclusively thinking about it as like an interesting historical understanding of like this is what that type of suffering might have looked and felt like. He did though say I think that that was part of his intention if I'm not oh, really? mistaken that yeah, he wanted you to focus on the physical side of it all, the okay. physical suffering like But always within the context of Jesus though. Never just like this is what it was like. Well, I I mean Yes, no. but no, he he himself <laughs> wanted it to be like, the, I'm just, we're focusing on the man, you yeah, know? So we're, yeah, okay. I think it's important to note, too, that he also never claimed historical accuracy for this film, mm. which is something I find interesting yeah. because it was pulled from several sources, like not just the Gospels, but very famously like the dream of a nun or whatever. Like, you know, it's mm. he's pulling from all these different places and he was never like, yeah, this is historical it's just sort of like the story they crafted out of these uh these sources what i was gonna say though is that to me though he fucking blows it because in the end it's just three guys getting crucified when cecil b demille would have had you know thousands in the background also being crucified (laughs) or Stanley Kubrick in Spartacus, dude. That's the end of Spartacus. Oh, right. Like Spartacus is crucified, and there's yeah. like hundreds and hundreds of other like yes. revol- slave, you know, slaves who've revolted who have been crucified. Yes, you know? exactly. But I, I digress. And, but that's also because Dalton Trumbo wrote Spartacus, right? <laughs> and he's yeah. like, it ain't about the one guy. It's about all of us being up on that. It's about cross. all the guys. Yeah, we're all hanging up there. I am Spartacus, you know. That's my that's my baby, sir. <laughs> right? Holy shit! All right, let's get on with it. Uh, the weekend chart for September seventh, two thousand seven, primal fall season. Shoot 'em up opened against the number one movie, new release, three ten to Yuma for Lionsgate. Uh, took in took in fifteen mil that weekend. Uh, Ho- Rob Zombie's Halloween in its second week. At number two, Super Bad in its uh, second week at number three, Shoot 'em Up debuted at number four for New Line, five mil on the weekend. That's so it could be better. Um, 
that's a tough that's a tough act though I mean those three movies were fucking big at the time yeah man. going man. up against super bad men and in its fourth week the Bourne Ultimatum already crossed 200 million ba- Balls to Fury Rush Hour 3 Mr. Bean's Holiday The Nanny Diaries Stardust Hairspray Simpsons Movie in its 13th week Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry well over the 100 million mark in its 17th week. Uh, Death wow. at a Funeral, Ratatouille, yeah, these are getting down to the things that have been in theaters forever. The sure. Die Hard, Evan Almighty, Pirates, Knocked Up, you know. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Yeah, I was, uh, I was there. I, we were quite taken by the trailer, and my dad really wanted to see it. I mean, I wanted to see it. And I just, I mean, that movie is maybe like the hardest I've ever heard of my dad laugh <laughs> in a movie theater. It was like shaking the room. You know, he was so struck by it. And I, I think this was on one of our like cold opens, but we like told the neighbors about it. And we're like, you guys got to see this movie. <laughs> and we went and took them. We took the neighbors to go see Shoot 'em Up for the subsequent weekend. See, this was like, you you guys were like the the, the, the Christians preparing your talking points yeah. to, to yeah. drag everyone to Passion of the Christ. But you guys, are, me, you guys you were trying to shoot up? spread the good word about <laughs> yeah. Shoot 'em Up. We know? had our Shoot 'em Up toolkit. <laughs> are you for or against gun control? Follow the tree. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's funny how you mentioned the, the symphony movie and I was thinking about when I saw that and how the audience was like chanting the lines from the trailer of the Simpsons movie especially like the spider pig song mm-hmm. it's funny watching shoot him up again this time around like one of my biggest takeaways was how it, it's a movie that feels as though it's designed where every single line could be in the trailer did you sure. like ever yeah. think about that like especially oh, Paul yeah. Giamatti you know why a gun is better than a wife don't know. I mean, you can put a silencer on a gun. <laughs> and maybe it's because, again, I've seen that this is now the fourth time I think I've seen it because I think we watched it on DVD. <laughs> too, Hell yeah. You know? Um, but it has that effect of, right? You see a movie four times, you've heard these lines in such close proximity so many years ago that they all sound fake. It all just sounds. Like, it gets fucked up in your head. To me, it all feels like a trailer. I'm like, yeah, I remember the exact inflection Paul Giamatti uses when he says these lines. Well, yeah, I think it speaks to a very, you know, again, I mean, it does perfectly represent this era because this is like when I was in film school and I, like, hated everything that was like this, which is, you know, the sort of, whatever, uh, intensified continuity action film. Self-conscious. Yes, the post-Tarantino, post-modern, cynical, self-conscious sort of thing uh, which was so prevalent in that era and of course like some people did it okay and others not so much you know has that like kiss kiss bang bang sheen or even oh, like yeah. a Boondock Saints yeah. attitude. I was, I was also, I would also say like Sin City, uh, of of which Clive Owen was also in. Yes. You know that that again, like cartoonish quality too. It's got a the violence. It's got a crank vibe as well, which I believe yes. came out the same year. And I see sort of now I'm looking at it going like, you know, of course, Crank and Shoot 'Em Up are sort of like the pro you know lead we're on the path to john wick essentially yeah. mm-hmm. in terms of american action cinema because of course yes you have pow on the cinematography and yeah for for what it's worth like this film is is interesting to look at i do think it's like overdetermined and overcut at times when i would rather have it breathe more but that's just personal aesthetic preference like i feel like 
it falls short of being a, a Hong Kong movie, but there are elements where it's like, yes, this is very like skilled cinematography that I am that I'm loving, you know, because it is extremely kinetic, you know. So yeah, it, it's a, a certainly. I mean, you know, both films are are very mixed. We're mixed bags for me, uh, <laughs> obviously, but uh, I do think, yeah, the violence um, just sort of manifest in this era. I mean, it's it's what I think of when I think of movies from this era, despite the fact that there's like plenty of American auteur great movies in this era, great international cinema in this era. But when I think about American cinema, it's sort of just like dark and violent yeah. and cynical, you know? And I think both of these films are those things. I completely you know? agree. I mean, what order did you both watch them in? I did shoot them up first. Interesting. Yeah, I did shoot him up first. You did. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it was. I yeah. I watched him back to back, and I started with Passion of the Christ, and in an anecdotal way, it was funny how shoot him up then felt like a sequel in certain respects because the passion ends with Jesus being resurrected with the big like hole in his hand from the from the nails and it's like the music is like pumping up and you're like this guy's gonna go kick some ass you know mm -hmm. he like stands up he's naked he's going to like strut the town and when shoot him up begins you know the very first scene is that pregnant woman being chased by a man and clive owen's like oh let he who cast the first stone you know like he goes right after and it's funny how you mentioned Eddie, like the baby can be like jesus but that first image even in the film i think the first shot of shoot him up is clive owen's eyes and that's such a heavy, there's such a heavy emphasis on Christ's eyes in the Passion, especially since uh, Jim's, Jim Caviezel's eyes are, are blue and they gave him contacts or something, but they made his eyes look like red. He looked like a devil, I thought, in the film, which gave it this crazy effect. But I kept thinking about how Shoot Him Up this time around, because I was fried, was did feel like Jesus, you know, going on a rampage and, and doing good because throughout Clive Owen's character, Mr. Smith has, he has principles uh, for a lot of the things he's, you know, t taking care of and, and fighting for. But I wanted to hammer home what you were saying, Marsh, because I do think the biggest thing I took away from the double feature was how emblematic they were of the violence in American cinema in the Bush years. And the passion itself, to me, really felt more akin to American horror cinema from the era, just really specifically post 9-11 horror, this intense hopelessness, this brutality, yeah, this torture, torture porn, dude. torture porn. Exactly. <laughs> it's endless. And then watch out. Armand will accuse you of moral vandalism. I know. I know. Be careful. But then shoot him up is sort of like the natural end point of what that did to the American cinema goers brain. And just like the American studio, like creatives where you become so numbed to this violence and this brutality that is like soaked in hopelessness that by the time shoot 'em up rolls around a few years later it all just feels like a cartoon it's this lightness it's kill bill you know it's just like well what is all this cartoon violence like it doesn't even affect me anymore cuz i'm being bludgeoned with it for the past 8 years yeah yeah and again i mean like it's it's important to to yes and i think we're we're, we're doing that right but like again like yeah can contextualize it into like the experience of our of our entire culture through that time i mean by 2007 
you know, mission accomplished had been declared in Iraq for what four, f- four fucking years, and and in that time span, we had Fallujah, Abu Ghraib, we had the the troop surge of two thousand seven, which is exactly when this movie was set. I mean, insane amounts of of violence and our experience of of the violence within Iraq and Afghanistan was was on levels that that I, I think. Uh, even, even somewhat like, you know, make, make the, the news broadcast of the Vietnam war, like look like tame by comparison, because this is now the era of soldiers carrying around their own digital video cameras. And you can go on the internet and see all kinds of horrifying shit. You know, I mean, dude, this is, this is the era when people were, 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 we're watching beheading fucking videos from from you know Al Qaeda and 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 crazy kinds of shit. I mean, faces of death like twenty four hours Classic. a day. You know, this is also a, a, an America post Columbine, and and you know you you shudder to think about America now twenty fucking years later, and and the kinds of violence we we continue to deal with. But to that end, I would say that uh, to me a stark contrast between the violence of this. And the violence of the Passion of the Christ, but but specifically the violence of Shoot 'Em Up, compared to the likes of 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 John Wick today, which is that this is bloody as fuck. I mean, it is gory and it is graphic. And there's certainly yeah. there's certainly violence in John Wick, but it's so much more bloodless by mm-hmm. comparison. You know, I mean, this revels in. In yes, to cartoonish effect, the the kills and the spills and heads bursting apart and people getting carrots shoved through their eye sockets and and blood, blood, blood everywhere, you know. And I I I kind of now almost like as I was watching it, it was almost like nostalgically looking back to be like, remember when action movies actually had blood in them? And I think that to be honest with you, it's like the bloodless action films of today, I find so much more like troubling and concerning than than something like this, which to be fair and to be honest, was was rated R, you know, and was like, hey, this is for adults, you know. Yes, it's for kids too, but it's it's for adults, you know. Your dad should be taking you to go see this, you know, that kind of thing. Where, you know, in the wake of all of this, I feel like the nihilism of our relationship as a culture to violence has led to what we have today, which is, yes, you know, to me, perfectly uh, uh, symbolized by the the sort of, yeah, like PG-13 violence of John Wick. Yeah, killing a hundred guys is fine. Yeah, as long as you don't, you know, really get too bloody about it. You yeah, know? I mean, I think, yeah, you're you're hitting on some good shit, you know, because I think that's that certainly what's going on, right? And obviously, you know, uh, whenever we talk about presidents, I talk about Hoberman, but like that's sort of his thesis, right? Like 9-11, of course, changed our relationship to the media. It was a found footage event. Therefore, it was cinema. Uh, now cinema has to compete with 9-11. Now it has to compete with uh, yeah. the images coming out of Iraq and Afghanistan. Now it has to compete with just that 
era of the internet, right? And and videos being uh, seen and and changing the way we we see things, right? Uh, and how that sort of then seeps into the movies and and vice versa, right? It's like there was this overall sort of attempt by so many filmmakers to uh, be real in that era, whatever that meant, you know, and, and often it meant violence, you know, but also, and you, you, you kind of, you know, you mentioned this already, but, but yes, like the, the, the also like flip side of that is as much as it is about like being real and being graphic, it is also like, yeah, to be self-conscious, to be cloying about that violence as well, which I think, I think again, speaks to this particular era. And Ryan, you've thrown this word around a lot, like the kind of hopelessness of it all. That it's like, okay, well, we're going to, you want bodies? We'll give you bodies, you sickos, you know? And yeah, we're all a bunch of pigs, you know? I mean, that's what movies like Crank are like, right? <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. And and they, they hide behind that kind of, you know, thumbing of the nose at it all. And just being like, yeah, he's Bugs Bunny. Yeah, whatever. It's, it's Grand Theft Auto the movie, you know? You sickos <laughs> right. love this shit, you know? And they can always kind of hide behind that in their ultraviolence. Like, it isn't a statement on... On violence per se, it's a statement on our relationship to violence more than anything. You know, it isn't it isn't Peckinpah, you know, in 1969 saying violence is disgusting. It's horrible. It's gross. Can it be beautiful? I guess, you know, in the wake of Vietnam. But but Peckinpah wanted to be like violence is disgusting, you know, and, and that's how he tried to approach it anyway. Of course, he has a lot to answer for, you know, because people focused more on what they perceived as like the beauty of his slow-mo violence. But in Peckinpah's mind, he wanted to be like, this is look at the blood. I'm showing it to you slowly to show you how terrible it is. Yeah, a guy's <laughs> dying here for fuck's sake. You know, yeah. this is this is and this is anguish. This is his you know, yeah. his, his agony in this moment. But yeah, fast forward to now and it's, it's yeah, it's just constant one-upsmanship of, of, you know, how can we top that? How can we, how can we like try to drag this depressed fucking nation out of its, its, you know, lethargic sense of, of no future and no, no, no victory in sight, you know, how can we do that? I don't know. Like crank, right. We have to just keep like jamming people with, with a fucking like, you know, <laughs> cattle prod or something. Yeah. Cattle prod or cables yeah. attached to a fucking car battery. Monster you know? energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I had read that. What was it? That shoot him up had 15 gallons of blood spilled in the film. And I couldn't find out how many gallons were spilled in Passion of the Christ, but honestly, it feels like it has to be kind of close. The amount of, like, Kill Bill spurting blood scenes there are in Passion of the Christ of just people getting showered, Oh, you know, like open-mouthed showers of Jesus' blood just spraying all over their faces. It's crazy. Uh, You've you've invoked uh, Kill Bill twice now, so I have to tell you what Tarantino said about the Passion. Uh, okay. <laughs> he, he said uh, he loved it. I think it's actually one of the most brilliant visual storytelling movies I've seen since the talkies. It has the power of a silent movie. It is pretty violent, I must say. At a certain point, it was like a Takashi Miike film. It got so fucked up it was funny. 
I was into the seriousness of the story, of course, but in the crucifixion scene, when they turned the cross over, you had to laugh. <laughs> Dude, I mean, he's, I he's so, so true. I, I was did. like... As the movie went on, I started cackling at it. I really was. I wasn't laughing because I did feel like it was just bludgeoning me, and I, I felt like I was just rendered rather numb. I was just like, okay, here he goes. He's, he's moving, he's moving. There's Jim and his 10 hours of makeup, you know? But when they flipped that cross, I I did laugh a little bit because it's just like good grief. <laughs> because what comes before that feels like some of the most... Uh, visceral stuff i mean just hammering the nails through mel gibson's palms a funny little anecdote like a funny thing to psychoanalyze is why mel gibson felt the need to have his hands be spiked Mm. but yeah flipping that cross over um on that hot looking day oh my god and you're just imagining all the dust getting in all the cracks of those wounds it's it's excessive <laughs> excessive indeed There's yeah no I, doubt about it you know i think like ultimately i think my issue with both of these films is is one of like modulation or or as in the lack of modulation in tone and pace uh, of both films right they yeah. both sort of set a pace and a trajectory uh and then never uh never slow down you know right. which you know can work but i feel like in in shoot 'em up very overwhelming very overwhelming film you know and moving from set piece to set piece you know it's like Okay. Yeah. Here. Okay. It's relentless. It, yeah. It's relentless. You know, I'm sort of sighing a lot, but laughing occasionally. You know, and then with the passion, you know, it's okay. Here we go. Yeah. And it just and it just goes. Just and keeps yes, moving. There are flashbacks, but I I found the flashbacks to be fucking worthless, to be honest. Um, which. Yeah, I sort of like I looked up Rosenbaum after after watching it and I had the same exact thought he did, which is like, wouldn't the flashbacks be a great time to show you like the good works of Christ? Nope. Right. Nope. It's just a pure, pure suffering. You know, it's just like we have no time for anything that would appeal uh, to like uh, not, you know, again, to your point, Ryan, like someone who isn't isn't Christian or Catholic, I'm just watching this going like, okay, you know, yeah, like, like what I, is this thing? You know, and I get what, you know, I get what it is, yeah. but like, it, it's not a narrative, you know, yeah. for Christians, it's like an icon. Well, and f- and <laughs> what, what, I'll tell you what it is, you know, it, it, you know, for Christians, it is an experience of, of, I kept like giggling to myself cause I kept just being like, Oh, there's another Easter egg. There's a Christianity <laughs> Easter egg. Yeah. Like, hey, there's the Shroud of Turin. Hey, oh, look, there's, you know, we get these things like, oh, that's the Last Supper, but you're only getting just a little sliver of it, you know? Like, it's like populated <laughs> with those Easter eggs. Again, for, I think, yes, Christian audiences to, to pick up on. But like, yeah, I think... Look, it's a movie devoid of conflict. There's no conflict in it. There's no question about what's going to happen, you know? Like, so it, it, it's a movie that that lacks that. It is, yeah, just like this trudge through the passion, the passion play, which, again, for Catholics particularly, is something they go through every fucking year. And, and it's a big deal, and you know it by heart, and you know these stories by heart. I mean, Catholicism, my experience of Catholicism, 
uh, as somebody who was um, a confirmed Catholic. I mean, I was I was I was dragged by my mother through all that stuff, and like you know, Catholicism is all about ritual and repetition, and you know, my experiences of Catholicism were always it's like it's this religion. That, that much like this movie is about just kind of like bludgeoning you with these things over and over and over again that you remember. I mean, I can still right now, but, and I am, I am, I am not a religious man, you know, like I went through that shit because my mom made me do it because all the kids in the neighborhood were Catholic and we all went through it. But, you know, I was always like, I want to stay home and cook with dad. You know, I don't want to go to goddamn man. Why does he get to stay home? You know, again, maybe that's why I tried to join the communist party when I was 12, you know, or whatever. But, you know, uh, uh, like my experience of Catholicism is just like being in this fucking church and just like some, some, some some you know priest just kind of being like all right say all this now and then and just hearing people murmur dispassionately no pun intended these prayers which i still can like bust out if i need to i can still say my fucking hail mary i can still say our father i can still say all these things that i learned that i had drummed into me and that's what this movie is it's it is a mass it's a catholic mass and you hit all the stations and you go through all the notes and so yeah it is not the full life of jesus explored it's a bunch of of prayers and passages pulled out and and like a mass suddenly we just get like all right here's a little bit of a story from somewhere right. some obscure thing that of course is lacking in context because the bible's a long rambling fucking tome of 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 a million different stories and some of them contradicting each other you know like i mean that's that's what the movie is but to be honest with you in that sense I actually do kind of appreciate that. Like, again, taking a step back from the religious aspect of it all as someone who isn't religious and taking a step back from something which we, of course, will address the the rampant anti-Semitism of the movie. uh, Like, I actually like this movie's construction for what it is and for what he was trying to do. Like, if you just take that kind of neutral stance of like, okay, what was his mission? I feel like unlike Bush in Iraq, mission fucking accomplished. I well, mean, certainly. It, it, yeah. like mission fucking accomplished. You Especially know? if you look at it as an exploitation film that had a goal. It achieved yeah. that goal. Yeah, and 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 like he, you know, wanted, I, I, I can't remember like when, I didn't like look back up this, this, this interview, but I do remember him saying at a certain point, like I wanted to focus on Jesus the man. I wanted to focus on Jesus the man. In fact, I think this movie would be, to me, like a, I would I would sit there and be like four star movie if it ended like right when he fucking dies on the cross like bam end right there bring up the credits like that's it sure. you know yeah uh, but the final scene which you have described where we then get the prologue of his resurrection where you see the fucking holes in his hands or whatever you know and it's like you know it's like it's like it sounds like Terminator Two all of a sudden you know and it's like oh shit you know. <laughs> you know, watch out, dude. Here we go. Like, we're coming for you, Islam. Like, yeah, like, we're coming for the Jews. We're coming for everybody. Like, like that's the worst part of the whole fucking movie to me. Everything else is like, yeah, as an exploitation movie about just like, you know, 
some guy being like, oh shit, you know, and 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 like 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 a Costa Gavras movie, dude, like like the confession, right? Just some guy dragged through a state apparatus, a cruel fucking state apparatus that just like renders a person into meat, into ground fucking meat hung up on a piece of wood. Hey. That's cool, you know? Like, this was just some slob. This was some guy who's like, hey, check out my table I made. Next thing you know, he's just like, <laughs> he's being dragged in front of a Roman fucking general and, like, being like, I don't know. What should we do with this guy? Like, all right, I guess we'll crucify him. Sure, why not? I would give this movie five stars if it cut to the scene in Barabbas when they're all asking him what he saw many years later, and he says... I saw a man. Yeah, I mean, dude, and by the way, that's something we should talk about because, you know, folks, for, for those of you who have paid attention to previous Gauntlet episodes, we've yeah. kind of we've already... We've crossed paths with Jesus before. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, we through, have. Through Barabbas. And, and I, again, because of having seen Barabbas, where Barabbas is played by Anthony Quinn. And we, we, we don't really focus in that movie on Jesus. We focus on Barabbas's life after he was pardoned, you know? And it's like, okay, well, what have you done with your life now that you've been pardoned for this guy who shouldn't have been crucified? Well, well, actually, to be honest, he should have been crucified. He needed to be crucified for, you know, what was to come, right? I mean, that's the point, you know? It shouldn't be. And again, why there's no conflict. You can't be watching this movie being like, oh, I hope they let Jesus go because... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There's not even any like how can you how can you even feel something there, you know? Right, like you got to right. be like get Barabbas out of the way. Get to the get to the hang of crucifixion, you know? Like get to the get to the good stuff. This is where, you know, like, That's funny. Yeah, it is. It is like without conflict. It's like is he going to make it to 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 get up there, you know? But no. right, it's meditate. I mean, right, for for the Catholic or Christian, right? I think it's supposed to be contemplative, meditative, right? Obviously, like it is in that sense, Andy, yes, it's kind of like a radical film. Uh, <laughs> narratively, yeah. you know, it certainly doesn't uh, adhere to uh, Hollywood conventions because it's adhering to passion conventions and, and the Bible yeah. and, and, and these other yeah. sort the of The stations pre, of the cross, yeah, dude. The stations, like, This right? is what happened, and then this happened. And then know? they just do it, you know? Yeah. And and then he falls a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he falls and, and a when lot. you're <laughs> reciting those things, the, the passion in... In a Catholic church, you do. It's like, and then Jesus fell for the third time, you know? It's like right. you go through right. each fucking step. And and again, for me, I was like, he's going to fall again. Here it comes, you know? Like, yeah, every time he fell, that's that's when I did start to laugh a little bit. Whenever Jesus fell, I could hear my father just going, wipe out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, those are really comical. I, I think certainly he overdoes it with a lot of the slow motion in these sequences. It really is just like, yeah, get it, man. You chill, know, no. like chill. Yeah, it's cool. The amount of like speed ramping. Mel yeah. is on record, dude. Like he he fucking adores Sam Peckinpah. I mean, seriously. And and there is a touch of that in there with the yeah. slow-mo violence, you know? Like you can see that. But but again, Mel Gibson is no Sam Peckinpah, you know? No, and no. Speaking of which, not, not to like totally drift too far afield here, but you know, he is working very, very hard and has been for several years. The comeback, it's happening. On Passion doing number the Wild two. Bunch. On doing oh. the Wild Bunch, remaking the oh. Wild Bunch. Passion 2 oh. is probably more likely. Is that yeah, for he's, real? Yeah. He's oh working God. on that right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. Passion yeah. 2, sequel, Resurrection. Resurrection. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. No pun intended. Holy shit. But, but... I know that he is like there. There are two other projects which which are like he's like yeah for his his comeback to to yes you know his resurrection. Uh, <laughs> he's he's been developing 
the Wild Bunch remake and another Lethal Weapon with Danny Glover. Like they have the script written, dude. So I'm hoping, God, I am hoping, I'm I'm praying that within a span of like the next five years, we're gonna get Lethal Weapon five, a fucking horrible Wild Bunch remake, and now the resurrection, the resurrection, dude. Sign me up for all three of those fucking movies. I dude. mean, they were already trying to do the resurrection before the Sound of Freedom, so I mean, I would imagine investing wise, it's now, like yeah. you know, now is the time to strike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I do want to go back to Barabbas because yes, always that was really striking, having come from a film that was so eloquent and yeah. so humanistic in its depiction of the man. And here we have God, such a beautiful film. It really is. It's like that gorgeous eclipse, and it's just the story of a man. And yeah. it was, yeah, it was pretty eye-opening. To kind of like understand Gibson's perspective here and his kind of disgust at certain members of humanity yeah. and you've got Baraba who's brought out and he is just this glutton he's this nasty oh, guy yeah. you know he just looks dirty he looks like an unrepentant killer he's just giggling to be set free yeah totally he looks joyful like th- he looks like a thug from a Sergio Leone western you yes. know just Absolutely. gross yes. he's like missing an eye <laughs> You know, he stinks, he's sweaty, he's grimy. Dude, that reminds me, uh, you know, usually I would expect uh, Andy to bring a Chinachita production to the pod, you know? But, Ryan, you have committed uh, your worst nightmare sin. You have brought an Italian film, essentially, to (laughs) the podcast, shot in Italy at Chinachita with Italian actors. Right. Crazy, yeah. and you and I'm, to, hey, to be to be to be fully again like fair and just stepping out of all the very problematic aspects of its of its you know its heart, like yeah, I mean like those carpenters, man. I mean they, Jesus got nothing on the Chinachita carpenters. Oh, I'll yeah. be honest with you, yeah, yeah. He, could, he couldn't have hung with them. No, no. way, dude. You Weren't know? they reusing a bunch of sets from Gangs of New York? I think as well, <laughs> or at least some. Which one? Hopefully. Well, like some stuff that they had. Oh, I, I mean, I'm sure they were always like repurposing stuff, but <laughs> I was like, but wait, you know, like which one, you know? But yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, like, fuck, man. I, I, they did Barabbas dirty. They did Barabbas so dirty, but they did. I mean, look, 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 folks, look, I'll be, I'll be totally honest with, with our listeners here. Some people who might already be kind of like, you know, look, I, Mel Gibson to me, for me personally, I have to say like, I can never forgive the man. I can never forgive the man for his his slide into uh, insane, open anti-Semitism and and what he did, you know, because yeah, he's a freak. <laughs> I loved Mel Gibson. Like I loved him. He's one of my favorite act. Like not like a not like a good actor, but a, one of my favorite sort of like actors of of growing up watching the fucking Mad Max movies and watching the Lethal Weapon movies and 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 Ransom. You know, like I I adored Mel Gibson as a performer, as like a Hollywood action star, as a as just a presence, you know. And this was the movie. This was like the movie where it all fell a fucking part, you know? And I think this was before the the comments, right? This was like before the comments, wasn't it? Yeah, par- well, partially, yes. But he sort of like courted all that uh, in the press for the movie where he sort of took a 
you know, me versus them, the yes. Jewish media position, yes. you know, mm-hmm. sort of yes. thing. I, I mean the, the, the of course, you know, the, the notorious traffic stop. You yeah, know? that was in the wake of this. Right, exactly. That was in the wake of this. But it was this movie where it was suddenly like, oh, Mel Gibson's bad. Like, oh, Mel Gibson's a, and like really bad, you know, <laughs> like rotten to the core and and it was like one of the saddest moments in my life because i didn't see the movie when it came out i opposed the movie i was i was i i objected to to everything about it and of course it's like very very poisonous it's very poisonous soul which 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 very clearly yes uh depicts the jews not simply as you know you know not even just simply as like yeah they did this thing but how he revels in the villainy of it all revels in the the cruelty and the villainy of it all and and like the romans more or less Get the pass. Yes. I was going to say it's the opposite of what Costa Gavras would do, where he would show you the state apparatus crushing the man. Yeah. Uh, it's the opposite he would show, of that here. He w- right. He would show how, <laughs> to an extent, right, it's like the Roman, the, the, the superstructure is pitting these people against one another, right? Right. But this, it's the opposite. The Romans are just these, like, bored bureaucrats who get pressured into doing this by the Jewish people who have a personal bloodlust against this man. And that's why Barabbas is depicted the way he is, because he wants us to be like, and look at the guy they fucking pardoned, you know? The point in the movie Barabbas that we saw, right, was that it was more a uh, uh, Christ-like act of mercy. And again, like it had to happen. Like Barabbas needed to be spared because we're Barabbas. The point here isn't that we're Barabbas, right? No. <laughs> the point is that Barabbas is a filthy, vile, disgusting, yeah. like probably like pedophile, you know, right. that they just turned loose, who pretty much like the minute they cut him loose is like jumping up and down with his arms raised, being like, I can't wait to rape and kill, you know? Like it yeah. is horrifying. <laughs> Barabbas in Passion of the Christ is supposed to be Paul Giamatti in Shoot 'Em Up. Yeah, pretty much, dude. Pretty much. Uh, it's all there, you know, uh, and glaringly so. Um, again, Hoberman made a great point. He said all the apostles are good Christians, and only Judas has the gall to call him rabbi. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. mm, you know, what? What much to think about? You know, but another point, of course, is that. Uh, Satan is sort of dogging the film and appearing and, and disappearing throughout and, and bearing witness and tempting Jesus. And uh, yes, quite problematically, of course, Satan is sort of androgynous. Uh, but let's be honest, Satan is a woman. And we all know about Mel maybe, Gibson. <laughs> you know, uh, an androgynous woman, if that. And I think he's also reveling in that. And I do want to yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to bring up, uh, this is going to cross a couple threads here, because Rosenbaum said, uh, the charges of anti-Semitism and homophobia seem too narrow. Its general disgust for humanity is so unrelenting that the military sounding drums at the end seem to be welcoming the apocalypse, rather like the mass slaughter following the Mexican rebels' torture in the Wild Bunch. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Well, exactly, man. I mean, I'm telling you, like, this is his, you know, before he could do it, this was like his Wild Bunch. 
You know, this is him like trying to do like the final 10 minutes of that movie, like and stretched out to two hours. Or uh, another way I interpret it is like, you know, after the success, of course, of Braveheart, he was like, what if I took the, the end of Braveheart and made yeah. that into a two hour movie? Because that's it's that's the ending of Braveheart. It's the exact same thing. If you remember, William Wallace yeah, is crucified. But in that Mel, you know, when he still was totally insane, he didn't show us the the real like physical violence. He alluded to the horrifying torture of William Wallace on the cross, which, of course, is a little, you know, uh, again, another very historically inaccurate film. But but it's amazing to look at something like the ending of Braveheart and look at the restraint of that, you know, and again, with the same kind of idea of like a man died for us, for this idea for freedom and he was tortured for it and he did it smiling, you know, now where do we go from here? What do we do with this life? You know, but like Jesus I keep saying Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I keep saying yeah. it, you know? That's a great connection because Shoot 'em Up is also a film that's based on the last 10 minutes of a movie, uh, which is hard boiled. And it really is, you know, I guess fun in, in theory that sort of like the concept of the film, the pitch is uh, what if the last 10 minutes of hard boiled was a 90 minute action movie? <laughs> uh, and that does, of course, generate, you know, plenty of comedy. I, I think. You know, already I think like the playground to me is seared in in my mind. Like when oh, they're yeah. sh- when they're shooting the you know the babies on some sort of fucking playground device that spins around. What are those things called? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> some sort of fucking you know, playground some sort of thing device. That, yeah, some sort of fucking thing that spins <laughs> no, around. You know, yeah. I know. It's if like were, it's like it's not if a merry-go-round. Yeah. yeah, you were on one of those things, and you had a friend who was just whipping the hell out of yeah. it to try to get that thing going as fast as possible to right. see how long you. You like, yeah, you hold on to the bars and you jump off and you get sick. Yeah, y'all so know they, what we're talking they got about. a baby on that, and Giamatti's trying to snipe that baby. So Clive Owen, <laughs> who's a little bit farther away, decides I should shoot those bars with my pistol. Yeah, so it spins faster and faster. And it's crazy because, yeah, the way he shoots it, he's like running in the opposite direction, he just keeps firing at those bars, and the thing's spinning faster and faster. And then the baby kind of like shoots out to him, or at least he grabs it. Crazy sequence. Well, I mean, let's let's just you know let's let's describe the baby's original presence too in this movie a little bit because I think that 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 should indicate to anybody like what kind of movie this is. So as we mentioned, like you know, Clive Owen sees this pregnant woman like running from some thugs, and he goes to help her, and they they wind up in this warehouse. And in the midst then of this shootout that that quickly uh, emerges and, and escalates, the woman is, of course, now giving birth. So, again, to me, a total symbol of the times in which this film was made and a certain generation who have grown up uh, after this movie, during this movie, you know, you literally have a baby being born into a bullet storm. This this right. woman like pops this thing out while Clive Owen is literally like firing a gun over the birth canal. And on top of that, uh, once he has, of course, now removed the baby, he's holding this freshly born child, he has to quickly think, well, what the hell do I do with the umbilical cord? So, of course, folks, 
he severs the umbilical cord by blasting it with a nine millimeter. So, I mean, to me, what a fucking symbol, right, of of America. And and I think, honestly, that's why, like, yes, this movie is like a mixed bag. And in terms of its, like, construction, there are certain aspects of it where I'm like, yeah, the script is, of course, obviously a joke and and intentionally so but it it suffers not for it's in it's like it's obvious jokiness it suffers whenever it tries to sort of drift away from it which it does at a couple points and and that's a whole nother thing but you know like this is i mean i hate to say this and it sounds almost corny but it's like yeah this is america right i mean this is it and 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 this is a child being born into the midst of this this insane ridiculous seemingly pointless fucking gunfight who has its umbilical cord severed not by a, a surgeon's scalpel but by clive owen's fucking pistol i mean yeah. holy shit folks. although you know i just want to say not to take away from your point but the baby was actually uh, born in toronto where the film was shot ah <laughs> not america <laughs> however there it is not Set in Toronto. No, uh, no. I don't think it's said where it's set. Yeah. Classic early 2000s. This is another thing of its era, right? Uh, yeah. Toronto as any city, whatever. Yes. Uh, yeah. That is absolutely on display here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, and then immediately soon after, the mother is domed. And then we have a scene of Paul Giamatti like running upstairs past her corpse with her exposed breasts uh she's just like slumped over with a big bullet hole in her head and he points out that she has um a nice pair of breasts and it was i had forgotten that <laughs> and oh, that's like yeah. in the first you know 10 minutes of this movie and i it was an interesting tone setter where i was like oh like this this thing is foul like this is like a nasty yes, bit of I business i mean he does like necrophilia two minutes later yeah. Right, he cops yeah. a feel on on her dead body, and yeah. and it's kind of a long little sequence. Like it's, it, it kind of lingers on that. Yeah, I had remembered it being really gnarly and and just being really violent, but my memory of it was that it was just colorful and goofy and wacky, and felt like a cartoon and was never all that despairing. But that I mean, there are there's stuff in this movie that is like just just absolutely disgusting. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I think like one thing that I guess sort of like helped and maybe like softened, you know, my feelings on the film is, you know, I read that the director had in the 90s shepherded this project about Kinsey uh, and he never got to make it. And so I'm like, all right, this is a guy who's like read Freud and a like sexual theory shit, you know, like <laughs> he wrote a script about Kinsey. So like what kind of like weird sexual shit was in that script? Uh, and here it all is just like gushing out on top of, you know, this crime film or whatever it is, you know, also kind of like Ford's three godfathers, yeah, anyone, you yeah, know, sure. the bandits get the baby, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and to say nothing of Monica Bellucci as the the absolute. Mary Magdalene. Well, I was going to say the absolute like, you know, uh, uh, per personification of the Freudian concept of the Madonna prostitute yes. complex that you know, he would constantly harp on because that's what she is. She's a lactating sex worker who, who becomes this, this like saintly, uh, you know, guardian of the baby. And of course, right. You know, she is, she is this, this figure. She, she sort of represents like woman. And again, in a very kind of like, 
<laughs> very, 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 very problematic way. Uh, yeah, you know, that's what she's supposed to be. You yes. know, this sort of like archetype of of the Madonna, the Madonna whore, the Madonna prostitute. Right, right. Which Mary Magdalene very, you know, frequently erroneously depicted as. Um, I, I want to stay on shooting him up, but I was trying to remember, Does how many lines does Monica Bellucci even have in Passion of the Christ? She not makes us like five words. Yeah, not many. Yeah. But she has like 500 reaction shots, so right. that must count for something. Sure. Yeah. The great um, silent film actress. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, look, the, to me, I'm actually shocked in, in, in now, again, like in 2023, and, and part of the fun of this week's topic is sort of like measuring, because you, you made it so pointed of being like the Bush era, of of like measuring our progress and measuring things. I'd rather not. And and let's 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 be honest, like seeds that were sort of planted in that decade that have now like c- come to 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 you know blossom, right? That have that have come to to fruition today. And obviously, like Passion of the Christ, which we've been talking about for a long time, like was a part of this this sort of like return of 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 you know church to the state that we're still now fucking grappling with in the wake of like Roe v Wade being overturned by a fundamentalist fucking supreme court right i mean jesus christ like fuck i got to stop saying that but it's like <laughs> it's like the road to Roe v Wade was 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 paved through fucking passion of the christ and through bush's fucking presidency right but like to me in, in terms of like shoot him up my God, I cannot believe, you know, we talked about on a previous episode, a, a film that is very popular amongst the QAnon crowd. And I can't believe that this movie isn't in their, their playlist. Like if you think about some of the things that it actually depicts, right. Of America, uh, like there's so many really like fucking messed up things in here that that again you can read as sort of satire, but I think also like a crazy person can kind of be like, this is exactly the kind of shit we're talking about here, right? I mean, there's a, there's a moment where he he uh, tries to buy bullets with food stamps, and and that's kind of a very strange, bizarre moment. But there's a whole political aspect to this film. That if you really kind of like in- interrogate it, it's uh, I mean, it's like Pizzagate shit, right? Like there's this senator, <laughs> like there's this premise in the film about, you know, gun control. And there are like jokes being made about gun control. And it, it kind of makes you wonder, like, what is this film actually trying to say about gun control? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Because it almost seems like it's saying it's kind of a bad thing. There is, of course, in the background, this Democratic senator. Senator Rutledge, by the way. Senator Rutledge. Forty in name if there ever was. <laughs> who, again, you think about 2007, we're on the, the verge of a, of a presidential election in 2008. And here's a Democratic senator running primarily on a platform of gun control. Now, there's this other aspect to the film of like, what is this fucking baby? Where did this baby come from? What do we discover later in the film 
that this baby is part of a baby farm. Is part of a baby farm in which children are harvested for their bone marrow to keep this democratic senator alive, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it's fucking like pizza game <laughs> yeah. shit. And, and who is, by the way, not just running on gun control, but running on gun control while having already reached a back room deal with the gun companies to do nothing yes yeah. <laughs> now oh, yeah. of course what what complicates that is that the clive owen character uh is you know is in disgust of all this and sort of positions himself um as as if he's like thinks gun control is a good idea, despite the fact that he's a, a stone cold killer and probably an <laughs> ex military or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, like, it, it, but it it just it's just that it takes like the cynical way out of like of what it actually is is you know yeah what what this all means. But you're right, yeah, they're harvesting fucking children. Uh, they, I mean, so some some liar Democrat can yeah. get elected or whatever. Oh yeah, I mean. absolutely. Absolutely. I got that vibe for sure. But it, it also does cut both ways because the gun manufacturer is, you know, certainly represented like a buffoon. Yeah. Uh, Giamatti is, is a buffoon. Um, really, again, like Mel, it, it is just this kind of ugly vision mm-hmm. uh, of humanity. You yeah. Know? Which, again, I think by the end of the Bush like era is is sort of where everybody was everybody was just fucking exhausted and and in the intro you know as i was saying our our double feature represents the sort of like bipolar uh overall i think the bipolar quality of of the time but this film very very you know on its own uh i think represents that both of those those sort of you know um, two very different kind of like mental states, you know, that I think represent the time. Like the depiction of the world is, I mean, it's nearly like post-apocalyptic. It is depressed. It is gross. Like I said, like he's buying bullets with food stamps. I mean, they put a fucking bulletproof vest on a baby. Like it's gray. It's gross. No cops anywhere. Yeah, despite no, there yeah. just being like, you yeah, know, no cops. Shootouts. I mean, it is just like, it is, it is a world already like collapsed more or less but the solution of course isn't to fix this world the solution is to just be like a a total like individualistic like maniac uh who just like has shut himself away and is just existing solely on like carrots and and uh, like I guess just like being really good with a gun or something like that, like not seeking out trouble, but of course, like you know, meeting it very very aggressively whenever it whenever it emerges. You know, I mean, it is just this like like it's like a very like yeah, it's just a very like kind of unsettling <laughs> unsettling mental state throughout the whole film, and like the laughs are not like good laughs. I mean, I was talking about how I was like laughing a lot in the movie. They're not like good laughs. They're, they're like, yeah, they're, they're, they're maniacal laughs. That's what they are. It's just kind of like, yeah, it's all shit. Yeah. Fuck it all. (laughs) That's, that's the, 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 the presence of, of, of everything inside this film. I mean, it's it's the kind of laughter you feel when you're playing a really violent video game. Mm-hmm. And that is what shoot 'em up really primarily feels like. When yeah. we it's like how do you even evoke what this movie is? 
it really feels like a video game with a couple cutscenes thrown in just yeah. to like move you from set piece to set piece. This is a film where it feels as though the filmmaker's brain was was kind of just trained on video game storytelling. And again, it has some really an accomplished cinematographer that is doing some like really amazing stuff throughout a lot of it, but just the the momentum and that like single pitch that the film registers at the whole time is to me what really feels like what evokes playing an action video game, and especially one from 2007. Oh yeah. I mean, they they do like just like straight up like Max Payne bullet time shit like throughout right. the film. I kept thinking of Max Payne, and and again talking key about text. Yeah, again key text talking about like action movies of the era. It was like Max Payne comes out and everybody's like, oh, that's the that's the new action aesthetic, which of course was sort of yanked from from Hong Kong and from John Woo and the bullet ballets of of the era. But but again, I think it's important to stress like why. This is not like, yeah, a Hong Kong action film, despite its pedigree and despite its influences. I think it's why that stuff has always been a little bit difficult to kind of translate. Um, because in in spite of like how, again, like tragic and apocalyptic so many of, particularly like uh, I'll say John Woo's movies are, there is still always a sense of like hopefulness in John Woo's and as like himself, like a devout Catholic, oh, yeah. right? Like he sees transcendence like in and saf- suffering and in sacrifice. Like he, he was a, a, probably a better Catholic than, than Mel, you know, in that, and that for him, it's like, it's about like, it's about going to a better place and living with honor and, and being a decent person in spite of whatever is, is horrible about this world. Wu, Wu believes that there can be a better tomorrow. And, and this doesn't have like any of that, right? As we've said, this is just a miserable, miserable, miserable thing. And despite it having a, quote, happy ending, I guess, of sorts, it just is so, it's such a lie. It's such a goddamn lie. You don't believe it. You don't believe that any of these people believe in in that sort of thing. Yeah, it's got the hopeless contradictions of a classic Hollywood film. You have the man of action and the, you know, the sex worker, the two characters who can't settle down walking off into the sunset right. with an orphan. You know, yeah. it's just... It's hopelessly contradictory, you know? What are they going to do? Live in his little, like, Rube Goldberg warehouse? I mean, come the fuck out of here. Eating carrots all the time? (laughs) Dude, the ending of this movie, just again, like, uh, for a recent film we watched, it, it kept reminding me of our conversation about, like, Lung and and the happy endings that were foisted upon so many classic Hollywood filmmakers. And and, uh, as you said in the episode... uh, um, The emergency exit. The emergency exit. And that's exactly what this fucking movie has, dude. The emergency exit where suddenly he he finds her at Dairy Queen, right? Isn't that where she's working? She's working like a Dairy Queen, Uh, which again is like kind of, I guess, a joke considering that she was the lactating sex worker or whatever. Uh, But but. Yeah, he just like pops up the Dairy Queen and and they get into one last shootout where he kills a bunch of I guess like guys who are addicted to meth or something like that. But right. but then they can of course consummate the the immaculate conception of the baby or whatever. <laughs> I was gonna say I feel like the the resurrection is one of the great emergency exits uh, yeah. in all of storytelling. You know? yes. and it really feels that way at the end of Passion of the Christ. Yeah, I mean I. 
Hillary was like, what are you laughing at? She yelled out because I started, I started cackling. I, I was like, talk about maniacal laughter in that final scene of, of the passion of the Christ where, yeah, he just, you know, like pops back up. I started laughing and I was like, Mel, you coward, you know, like right. you coward, total emergency exit, dude, just yank the cord. And suddenly after all that horrible, horrible shit, he, he can't just leave you on that like note of devastation. Right. He's, he's then got to be like, don't worry, don't worry. You know, he'll he, be back. Yeah. He'll be back in the, Bond will be back. <laughs> yeah, wow. Man, the extended like torture scene at the end of Shoot 'em Up because of watching these films back to back was crazy because when Clive Owen was being tortured and was saying things like, you know, nothing is more painful than listening to you jabber on and on, you know, mm-hmm. I was like imagining those turns of phrases coming out of Jesus's mouth instead of like father they know not what they do <laughs> you know just like the crassness of everything smith is saying as they're breaking his fingers and fucking up his hands just like they do to poor jesus in, in the passion I, I it was really i can't emphasize it enough i know it's just like built in and the fact that we put these movies next to each other but watching them both on the same night is it's unforgettable Mm-hmm. I got yeah. masochist you know. double feature. Yeah, yeah, and it's oh man, it was so funny. The hardest I laughed during the Passion of the Christ was had nothing to do with the film itself. It was when the film ended, and Amazon pulled up the "If you liked this, you might also like this." Oh hell yeah! And the movie that came up in the corner. Death Wish. Fuck yeah, dude. Wow. Yeah, I did not get my phone out fast enough to take a picture of it. I, I'm hoping it was the Death Wish with Bruce Willis. The, no, the it was with one. Bronson. Oh, dude, okay. I mean, that's, you know, that's good too, but yeah. man, if it had been like the, the remake of Death Wish, the, oh, that. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, the like violent and gritty, you know, subterms categories for these movies producing that like that ai collision where i've got death wish in front of my face all timer and we all know the remake of death wish is of course to tarantino's fault for boosting eli roth mm-hmm. in the wake of passion mm-hmm. of the christ he was so feeling it that he helped fund hostile you know and helped do all that so yeah um yep he he's yeah. he's just as much to blame for this as anybody i mean and again just as much to blame for shoot him up as anybody yeah. i mean like yeah th- that, that's <laughs> honestly what i think of like the again like the bush era like you know, uh, let's be honest, like some of the some of the good, but a whole, whole, whole lot of the bad and the ugly we owe to fucking Tarantino and his success in the 90s and, and early 2000s. I mean, like like you said, so many people trying to knock him off and 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 studios suddenly being kind of like, oh, we got to get Tarantino style shit out there. I mean, like you said, this project he conceived of like. 10, 15 years earlier and then people didn't want anything to do with it and it kind of languished then all of a sudden, you know, after making just a bunch of what seemed to me to be just like indie schlock or whatever, like this guy Michael Davis is suddenly being like, oh, hey, like 
how about now? And and Hollywood being like, now is the time for this. T the time is right. Let's go. Let's get this thing out here. And yeah, I mean, look, I'll be honest. I think this is better. Or this has more to, I should say, this has more to just kind of like um, keep you occupied, keep your brain kind of moving, keep you going like, whoa, than a lot of that other shit. Yeah. Like, I, I actually think this movie has like a lot more like merits in terms of its wackiness, in terms of its goofiness uh, than, and, and again, in like its technical proficiency in, in certain sequences than like, yeah, most of the other kind of like Tarantino knockoff crap. But yeah, because this goes, yeah, this certainly goes beyond you know, some stuff that Tarantino would never do. Right. And I think the people who do really like it, you know, cite that, that it's that idea where, you know, if you go, if you go so far, uh, in one direction, you know, it's like, it's cool or whatever. Yeah, you know, right. It's all, it's all good <laughs> because it's not, it's not necessarily like, yeah, as, as mean or, or, or as realistic as, as some other films. So yeah. uh, you sort of like, oh, okay, you and, know, and it's and all a big joke. Yeah. And again, know? like we've yeah. talked about this. Skydiving shootouts. Oh, dude, Dien Bien Phu flashback. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, and again, talk about like of the era, the like CGI of the skydiving oh, sequence brutal. is so fucking 2007 to me, yeah. dude. Like, 2000 late. It, yeah, 2000 <laughs> late, dude. It looks so fucking insane, dude. I wish, Ryan, looking at that, I wish I, I was like, when I was watching this, I was like, fuck, I wish I'd saw this on the big screen, dude, because it probably looked even crazier on the big screen. It's like distorted. Like, mm -hmm. it is, it is. It is wacky as fuck. It's wacky shit. Yeah, we got wacky CG in both of these movies. Yeah. I, I did really like the the presence of CGI in Passion of the Christ, because that wasn't something I was anticipating. Oh, I had yeah. known about a little of it, but I had no idea that there's a moment where Judas is jump scared by like a big werewolf demon oh, under yeah. that the bridge. satanic children and oh shit. the yeah. children that yeah turn into like the little baby man that stuff was all crazy and i mean it was interesting because when i went into watching passion of the christ i was curious how dated it would look when it's a period piece trying to feel timeless and andy you had mentioned how the film is, is this series of Easter eggs of like Christian iconography. And I don't, I don't think I, I don't know if I read the same Jay Hoberman thing that you did, Marsh. I read his like original village voice oh, yeah. write up. And he, he has a bit in there that I love that to me felt like my own, how I felt watching it. Like these personal Easter eggs of early 2000s aesthetic markers where this film really does, I was surprised how dated it does feel. It doesn't, it, at times it works and I think feels timeless in just like depicting a different historical era, but there are still so many aesthetic touches that just like connect it to other movies from, from that era. So I'd love this passage where Jay Hoberman mentions, before anything else, the passion establishes itself in the realm of recent fantasy epics. The Aramaic sounds like bad elvish. A brief interlude in Herod's degenerate court suggests a minor detour to the Matrix world. The music is straight out of Gladiator, and much of the movie is haunted by the androgynous, cowled Satan seemingly risen from George Lucas's cutting room floor. And I think that, like, the, the elvish, the elvish 
tell this joke and especially the matrix i was thinking about the matrix way more than i thought i would while watching passion of the christ hell yeah yeah i mean you know it's it's when you put it like that yeah this is uh yeah not just a, like a trip through the iconography of of yeah christianity but the iconography of like early 2000s like blockbusters and and in that sense like i yeah i i totally agree with hoberman on on that one you know I, the gladiator thing I did think about. I, I thought about the gladiator. Yeah, thing for sure. The music's bad. The music. The music's it, really bad. The, yeah, the music is terrible and very, again, just very like beating you over the head with all the beats. Um, but I, I was also kind of uns, unsettled by the uh, the unrepentant needle dropping of shoot 'em up, where it's like Nirvana, Motorhead. I was just like, give me a break with this greatest hits bullshit. Oh you know? yeah. And I like some of the songs, but you know, it's just like I'm, I'm pretty sure they dropped Ballroom Blitz too. Like, I mean, dude, that is like, come on, bro, Ballroom Blitz and the shootout, like, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we we did it, guys. We we remembered. <laughs> Yeah, I hope this this brought you back. It did. And, you know, as I told you guys before we started, I I saw John McTiernan's Rollerball last night. So I've been I've been up to my neck in in Bush world lately. So looking to get out, you know what I'm saying? Looking to get out. Well, if you had to stick around for one more movie, what would it be? What's your what's your Bush era? Like, ooh, this is this is the the. The, the early aughts or just mid aughts, I guess. Well, I have a I have more than one. Sorry, uh, that's fine. <laughs> but my main one, of course, you know, a lot of great films came out in this period. But I think one that very explicitly engages with this period that I love. Uh, you know, I think Tony Scott's two best movies are Unstoppable, which we did, and Deja Vu uh, with Denzel, which to me is one of the great 9-11 movies because it's just about time traveling to stop a horrific event. And it's Tony in eight-camera mode, you know, doing, again, we've talked about it sort of like his Marion Bad, you know, yeah. uh, as far as Tony Scott can make last year at Marion Bad. I mean, Bad, that's to, deja vu. I mean, you know? to be to be totally honest, right? Like when, you know, you first gave us the topic and we were thinking, like the only challenge I had really was in, not in picking me, deja vu. What, what was not picking a Tony Scott <laughs> yeah. movie wow, because sure. like he owned this era. This belonged to him, dude. I mean, again, another film that totally sums up, I think, so much of what we've been describing is Man on Fire, right? Yeah. Like, and again, like America and revenge and and operators and all this kind of shit, yeah. and torture, right? I yeah. mean. Oh, yeah. So that for sure. Uh, I want to shout out uh, Bruno Dumont's Flanders, which is a movie that Andy got me into when I barely knew who Dumont was. uh, And it was an inspiration for orders. And that film has, of course, an explicit connection to the Bush years because it cuts from the farm to the middle of fucking the Middle East where all of a sudden these, you know, dopey Dumont, you know, rural idiots are soldiers in the war on terror. Uh, And that movie, you know, uh, that movie needs a boost. I feel like that movie got shit on when it came out. Uh, but it's good, people. Oh, yeah. Um, See, that's the kind of movie that you would pick for this topic if we were trying to be, I yeah. think, if our, if our mindset... You're being ser- <laughs> you guys are being serious. Yeah, if we were trying I'm to be like, serious. 
I brought the greatest story ever told. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I mean, like, if we were trying to be like, uh, uh, you know, movies where we'd be like, yeah, this movie actually rocks, and not movies that are like sure. cursed, <laughs> horribly cursed. <laughs> then, then again, Dumont has made some very cursed movies. I maybe that's not the best way of putting it. But. Uh, and I, I don't remember if I, uh, if I've, if I've recommended this film before, cause I love recommending it, but, uh, another one that takes a sort of different approach to this era, uh, is the Axe by Costa Gavras, which is an adaptation of Donald Westlake's novel. And it's, uh, essentially a, just a very mean satire about a guy who, uh, loses his job. And as he's interviewing for jobs, starts to murder, uh, the other people who are going up for jobs against him and so it's just this you know parody of of greed in the 21st century and this sort of like uh you know insane insanity of like the financial class it's kind of uh, like it's kind of like Costa Gavras's Office Killer, if any of yes, you guys have seen. Yes, it's exactly that, that. Uh, and it fucking rocks because like it's Westlake and it's very funny, um, and before made before the crash too, you know. So he saw it coming. He called it. He said, "This these guys are up to no good," and they were. Damn, dude. Um, so yes, uh, thank you guys. It was uh, it was a dark week, but it made me feel like I was back there. You know, back in in two thousand seven, graduating from college into the the Great Recession, going, uh, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I've never recovered. So, uh, thank wow. you very much. Uh, next week, it is Andy's topic. Uh, what you got for us? Well, you know, um, uh, I feel like recently we were having a conversation off the pod together about a movie coming up. And you want to talk about a resurrection or a comeback. Uh, those, those, uh, those of us who are fans are, of course, waiting with uh, certain, I think, uh, trepidation for... Michael Mann's big screen return with Ferrari. And so, you know, I just, I feel like it's starting some of the, the buzz. Like I noticed uh, TCM just uh, showed another great movie of, of cars and cars moving very fast. Uh, Le Mans with uh, yeah. Steve McQueen. Our boy Steve. So I thought, you know, in preparation for that, for that film, we could take a look at, uh, Road trips. I mean, we've done road trips, but this time, uh, I really want to make it very specific. Uh, let's go fast, and and through that, let's focus on the race, the auto race, the car race. So next week, bring me cars going very very fast, and maybe not necessarily just cars. Could be some sort of combustion engine, but I want to see. A, a, a good old-fashioned motor race. The race is on next week. All right. Vroom, vroom. Buckle up. Uh, yeah, as always, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, everywhere online. Look us up. Follow us. Love us. Send us emails at gauntletmoviepodcast at gmail.com. God bless you, everyone. Mission fucking accomplished. <laughs>
Oh, yes, sir, Bob. It certainly has been a pleasure. But before we part ways, tell me one thing. I am dead on about who you are, right? Say that again. I said I am dead. Stop. How part of it you go, Ryan? 